Okay, people, it is happening. Episode 31, which is actually my favorite number. I don't know, when did that become my favorite number? I think it was, yeah, after my brother and sister died, I added their two favorite numbers up, 7 and 24. And I was like, you know what? That's my favorite number now. I've never had a favorite number before then, but I decided to have one then. So there you have it. Episode 31 of Room 9 is coming at you. But before we get into this episode with Matthew Oliver. Yes, I know. Matt's on the podcast again. He has become a regular guest. I just love my conversations with him. But before we get into it, room9podcast.com backslash contact. That'll bring you to a contact page, a form, I should say, to fill out. And that means you can get all the details of what is happening at Room 9 emailed to you. So you should do that. And that helps me know how many regular listeners I have. Because I assume if you fill out a contact page, you are probably a regular listener of Room 9. There's also on that website, room9podcast.com backslash support. That way you can uh, help Room 9 and share and spread the message that we are trying to get out there to not only Western New York, to the whole world, and as many people as want to listen. We want you to listen, and we want you to be able to listen. So in order to keep things going and keep things moving and push the message out there, it costs some kind of money, and that would be greatly appreciative. If you are a regular listener and want to help support, if not, if you don't have the finances to do that, it would be awesome for you just to share and keep spreading this all over the internet and get it all over the place because lives are changing because of it. And this is only getting bigger. Room 9 is officially Room 9. I went down to the county clerks, as I told you last week, and filed and got the DBA. And there's about to be a business bank account opened up, which is still going to be mainly run by Christine Glavy, my wonderful BFF, who is in charge of everything and overseeing every penny that comes in and out of Room 9. So in order for me to access this money and spend any of this money, she has to know about it and she has to allow me to get to it. So that is that. There's also a letter to people who donate if you go on the support page on our website and that explains a lot of how we're doing it, how I am held accountable, and how it money is getting spent. Other than that, I am still currently working on a business plan to bring to the board at Access VR to try to get some money to keep pushing this business forward. So that is something that isn't lined up an exact date yet. Once I finish the business plan, I will be contacting them again, and we'll be doing that. And it is getting warm out in Buffalo. That is awesome. In fact, this recording, you can hear birds chirping in the background. I had the window open. And at first, I was like, eh, should I close the window? Should I not? But I think it gives it um, a cool ambient sound. Ambience. It gives it cool ambience. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. You know what I mean. But it's awesome to hear the birds in the background. Once again, though, I think you do hear some people talking in the house outside the door. And that's just... One of the biggest negatives right now that I have because I do not have a nice, quiet recording studio to do every episode thus far. But one day we will get there and I cannot wait for that. Um, I also wanted to tell you guys, email us here at Room 9. Our email is room9podcast at gmail.com. And if you send us an email, like I want to hear what you guys want, topics you want to hear. Or like if you have a guest in mind that you would love to hear and for me to try to get on the show, that would be awesome. I actually am at the point right now where people are starting to slowly reach out to me and want to 
promote their company or promote their services and whatever that is. And that's starting to happen, which makes me friggin' humbled and appreciative of how awesome everybody is for listening and how awesome everybody is for supporting and just helping out and just showing interest in this podcast and company in general. So that's about it. I had an interesting week, had a blowout with a friend over what exactly I'm still kind of confused at, but it happens. I don't know. You know, things change. I've been super busy, so I obviously have not been able to be there on people's beck and call when they need me or when they want to hang out. So I don't, I don't know. It just, I've, I have come to the realization too that as you grow and as you just start working hard in life, you are going to have people who are going to hate on you. So be aware of that. But that being said, there's something about hard work that pays off. And I mentioned this quote in towards the end of this coming up episode that the, um, I think, I don't know if it was a philosopher, somebody just said it. The harder I work, the luckier I got. Because when you start working your ass off and you find something you want to do where you put everything into it, it is a beautiful thing. So yeah, you have something you found that you love to do, work your ass off at it, no matter what, and it will work out. So other than that, I don't think I have anything else. I think I'm going to let you guys get on and listen to this episode now. As always, I love y'all. I love y'all. And you guys are the best for listening and for all your support and all your comments and all your love that is being thrown this way is greatly appreciative. Room 9, episode 31. Hope you guys enjoy it with Matthew Oliver. We talk a little bit about actually finding stuff that you love to do, and we also talk about mainly Oxford houses because Matt had some trouble with an Oxford house, and he is now in my Oxford house, or the Oxford house that I stay in. It's not technically my Oxford house, but he's living in it, so we discuss that, the pros and cons of it, how it's helped us both, and, you know, maybe some things that could be changed in them. But here it is, episode 31, Room 9 Podcast. Peace. Wait a minute. You're Sean Cutterman. That's right. How are you going to know? You're Sean Cutterman. Stop asking fucking questions. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. You better believe it. Oh, you better believe it. Right. Come on. You're showing cutting. That's right. That's right.
Wait a minute. I wish they would remake it. Yeah. Hollywood is so much better today than it was, while still somehow being horrible. Why still somehow <laughs> being terrible? Totally terrible, as I like to say. Oh, that's right. All right, so what are we going to get into here? Room 9 coming so, at you. Oh, yeah, doing some Room 9 action here. Matthew, Oliver. We're allowed to use that name still, correct? Yeah, we can okay. use it. We can use <laughs> it up. The uh, newest member of Trowbridge Oxford House. You are officially part of the bridge. That is correct. That is Seems exciting like a news. great place. Seems like a real nice place. I was homeless for about four days. Mm-hmm. I, was, uh, I guess I would like to use the word transient. Yes, that sounds much better than homeless. <laughs> that does. Really? Yeah, of course. Okay. Sounds fancy. Right. It's like a rich homeless person. <laughs> <laughs> that makes any sense. I'm not homeless. I'm transient. Oh, come right in, sir. We will serve you at this high-end oh, coffee yes, bar. yes, please. Okay, back to it. Here we go. <laughs> Take two. Oh, God. Yeah, so, anyway. All right. Okay. Back to what we were talking about. So, you, yeah, you got booted out of your Oxford house. Right, you got booted right out. Uh, the old... So, this is Oxford House, Western New York group. Chapter four. Chapter four, which is mainly South Buffalo. Sobo, New York. as I like to call it. Sobo. Oxford House is interesting. It's helpful. They they claim to be like this big proponent of helping recovery, mm. they recoveries, and they claim that if you stay here for like 16 or is it 18 months, yep. you yep. have a higher chance of not relapsing. Right. <laughs> um, what I tend to find is the majority of the houses are about money. Mm. You know, it's funny you say that because I was just thinking about something an outreach worker once told me. And they said, so what if the owner of Oxford House Buffalo is just in it for the money? You still have Oxford House. But it's, Which is an interesting view. It's, I, I'm fine. It's not, you know, the owners, the owners. I don't have, the owners I feel like could be more and I feel like the owners... In particular, the one who owns about five or six houses in South Buffalo, I feel like he puts on this um, facade and this persona of he's all about Oxford and wants mm -hmm. to help. I think he's just about the money, but that put aside, I don't really care. It's when you get the individual houses. Okay, so you're going that route. Yeah, and I think you know maybe even the outreach worker of Chapter Four. Hmm. We're I not think using he's any names. All about the money. We're not using any names, but I know. Where you're coming from, I think subconsciously, it's very easy to, especially having been in the treasurer spot in the past, mm -hmm. subconsciously your mind just kind of takes on that role of like, I have to make sure that this house is financially stable. So what's the best way for me to do that? One of the good ways to do that would be to accept higher risk individuals, take the bed fee and wait for a relapse, right? And then you just keep that. So you're getting paid $150 for two days worth of stay. Yeah, know? so how it works. So if you move in at in the middle of the month, you have to give $150 bed fee no matter what when you move in. That holds your bed for 30 days. Or I should say before you move in, you have to give $150 bed fee. That's non-refundable. 
non-refundable. So you give it and sign at the com, you don't get it back. You move in at the middle of the month, you get prorated $11 per day. So after that, every month, it's in my house, it ranges between $335 to $350. My house is $335. That includes electric, gas. We buy coffee. We buy cleaning supplies with that. And like paper, laundry paper products, laundry detergent. Yes. Let me ask you this about the first month. Do you always just say you owe $500 and then prorate the second month? What do you mean? So on moving day, I give you $500. Boom. Let's say today's June 12th, right? Okay. I owe you $500. July 1st rolls around. We prorate July. That doesn't make any See? sense, right? No, that, I don't That's how understand does that. it. Yeah. Well, you would move in. Like if you moved in <clears throat> right now today, $11 a day, $242. Right. That was some quick math. I already figured out earlier. I'm terrible at math. So anyway... What Stevenson would do is say, "Okay, we want the five hundred right now." Where does this and then July? What that's for that? a full month's rent, three fifty, okay. and then the one fifty, right? So then in July, the two you owe is two forty four. Yeah, that's stupid. It's a quick way to get the five hundred up front. It, they want money. Yeah, and th- that's what I said. And it's I was told money. that that's how every house does it. And yeah. it's like that makes zero sense. He, we've even had a couple of people like paying for, let's say, a mother paying for their son's stay. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you prorate the second month? They're going to be yeah. here all month, and you don't do that with DSS. No, DSS prorates the first month. I don't understand why they do that. It's backwards. Cause it, well, that goes back to our original point that the, the most money. houses are just about getting the most money out of people, not helping them. Right, and and on that note, the helping people note. It is, I think, meant to be at the end. I think the best way to utilize an Oxford house is after you go through detox, inpatient, long-term, you know, the whole gamut of help that's mm-hmm. out there. If you really want to do a rehab thing, right? Oxford house would be after, like, your halfway house, maybe even after your um, supportive living. I think it could be, like, interchangeable with supportive living. However, officially, to move into an Oxford house, you have to have one single day clean. That's mm-hmm. their official stance. Yes. Which makes it rough because you get someone with one day clean, right? They might have the best intentions, but you have so much brain chemistry going on over that first 90 days even. It's really over the first year you got a ton of brain chemistry happening. Your brain's trying to repair itself. It's trying to get back to a place where all of those different chemicals that I don't really understand a lot about are trying to rebalance. Let's say day one, right? You come into an Oxford house. Today's my second day clean. Now I have to, I've got to follow curfew. I've got to, there's other rules. I got to do my chore. I have to, I can't have people over. I can't spend the night out. But I'm living in an environment that looks a lot like I just am renting an apartment with roommate. It For someone who's mind is still very much in early recovery that's difficult yeah i definitely i I mean for the most part we encourage people coming from long term even when people are coming here from just a 30 day during the house interview we grill them about why they're not going to long term yeah and i guess if somebody is a I don't know how to put this, like a a mild user, you know what I mean? Not someone who was like, oh, I just spent the last seven years banging dope under a bridge, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, oh, I was a functioning, air quotes, addict who, you know, had developed a life and still had a job and maybe still have that job. Um, And I can only do 30 days because I'm trying to keep my job and get back on my feet. That would be someone that I would probably take. But if you got somebody who comes in and they're like, yeah, I just finished 28 days, but my history is is that of someone who... my fourth hard, time. Yeah, yeah. Hardcore user. I just don't want to do long term. It seems to me like a shortcut. And I think that 
houses, whether subconsciously or purposely, take people who are high risk because it's a quick way to earn a buck. And it's not ethical. No, it's not. No, it's messed up. I mean, even for instance, our outreach worker, Mm. for instance, great guy, would have said to me, so we just kicked out a guy. He lasted six days. And again, we took him We took him off the street. He has not come from a rehab. Right. He pissed clean. I think he started drinking as soon as he got in here. Oh, really? He broke three rules within six weeks. Or six days, I'm sorry. Right. Three rules in six days. We kicked him out. I could have kept him until Friday when he paid his rent. Right. Kept half of that and then kicked him out. Yeah, that's the other part of it. It's, it's really set up to... Um, just get money from people. Like the the rules are set up to make it easy to hold on to people's money. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just a lot anywhere else but New York too. And I don't know if you know this, but they do weekly rent. That's right. So rent or you know e- ESS or whatever it's called. What is that? Mm-hmm. Equal equal expense share. You're right. So ESS is due at house meetings. And you pay it every yeah, week. you pay it every week. I think that is fantastic because you are not bo- bound by any lease in Oxford House. Let's make that clear. At any time, you can be voted out under mm-hmm. suspicion of use for literally any reason. A house can say, okay, you have 45 minutes to pack your things. Now, I think yes. if you're not using technically in the rules, I say you can stay overnight. So you have one day, let's say at most, to pack up your things and leave. Being that that's the case, I think a weekly rent, a weekly ESS where rent comes every week and is collected at the house meetings, that makes the most sense with the way that because it can end so quickly. And then if everybody, that way, houses don't have to be like, okay, we're giving you grace to pay weekly. Mm-hmm. It just is what it is. And then if someone comes to a house meeting and doesn't have rent, it's like, maybe you give them one week, maybe. And then at that point, the houses aren't letting people live there for free. Because I think free. I saw on the on the Oxford House website that that happened to a house where somebody kept getting grace and then they bailed. and you It know. happens all the time. Yeah, they it live, does. You yeah. live here for free for a month or whatever until you find a place and save your money and just go to the house meeting and say, sorry guys, I don't have it. And that's the problem, I think, too. It comes and I see why they don't like people on social services that are here as well. Yeah. But it's tough because so many of us are coming from a spot where we oh, don't God. have anything. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we don't have anything. We've been out of work for four or five months because mm-hmm. or we go from jail to short term to long term, then to Oxford House, and we don't have any money. Yeah. We didn't and, have any money to begin with, even right. when we got arrested because we've been in, in the grind. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's tough not to accept that because, you know, we've had, we had a guy. Yeah. Oh, I got to get my ESS. They're going to pay for it. They're going to get us, you know, they'll send it back. Just let, let me get it switched over. And it was four or five weeks into it. His DSS didn't come yet. He relapsed, got kicked out, and then we were stuck. Right. He no lived money. here for a, free for a full month. For a month, right. And I think the way that it's set up perpetuates that because it's set up so that if everything goes right, Oxford House is on the gaining end. Mm-hmm. It's almost easy because it's it's easy for people to do that because you get to a house meeting and it's like who's gonna really be like nope sorry we aren't giving you grace usually a house anytime i've been in it will help out we'll just be like okay yeah we'll give you a week you know or at the next house meeting you have to bring us something and i don't know i think weekly ess would be better and from what i've from what i've been informed that's everywhere else but new york and new york state's different too with like the whole outreach workers thing Mm. usually in other states like they're paid by social services like they get a stipend or salary and they get something more yeah but New York State, not because of um, governing body that oversees treatment. What's the name of that place? Oasis. Oasis. 
Right, so they would want their hand in Oxford House, and I wouldn't want that either. I hate the New York nanny state anyways. The less rule of law, the better, in my opinion. But anyway, that's a whole nother mm-hmm. That's a whole nother that's podcast. That's a whole other. We yeah. could go into a whole thing on that. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, bottom yes. line, you need a better place. I know, I you know. Need a better studio. I said that, that would be intro heard, of the last heard, podcast. Yeah, I, heard, I was like, come on, I just can't wait to have my own silent, quiet room where I don't have a bunch of numbskulls running around shouting. Here's a crazy idea. Did you know the library has a studio? What do you mean? The library downtown Buffalo yeah. has a recording studio where yeah. you could go without any equipment and record, but you can bring your own. You should book that. That you can just use? Yeah. You don't got to pay for it? You just book it? It's like everything else at the library. It's free. Oh my God, I got to look into that. You should look into it. And the other thing you should look into is there's a lot of um, rentable spaces like that. Yeah, I wonder how much I'll cost. It's not like I'm making a fortune doing this where right. I have like... Right now, the library might be your best bet, but yeah. in the future, as this gains steam, I would look into the library, bro. You can literally show up there like with a guitar and record I did not your know manifesto. That. Yeah, I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, I'm going to record my manifesto soon there. So yes, Oxford House, financially, I feel they're encouraged to run more based on finance and gain money than lose money, or than to help people, I should say. Yeah, and it becomes a money grab. And like I said, it, it may in most cases be subconscious and not, it's just perpetuated by the rules. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I don't know of any uh, like discussion being held at any chapter meeting and i don't think they would be open to any discussion about that because you would really have to have a seat at the table Mm -hmm. as far as like the outreach workers and the owners like those are the only people that are going to change those rules yeah those are not rules that you could change as a house i know typically houses are supposed to be autonomous and for the most part they are although i have seen outreach going and clear houses out but that's a whole other thing yeah that's um well because sometimes you do though you have you get people that is like bombarded with uh, relapse right and that's i mean i get the the reasoning behind 45 minute rule because mm-hmm. you get someone who actually relapses let's say and let's say it's me right and you're one of my good friends in the house and you come to me and you're like we you talk to me and it's like oh you're dirty well maybe you were having a weird rough day and you think oh man matt's probably got dope on him it was very easy for you to be like you know what let's forget about this talk just hook me up Boom, mm-hmm. right there. It's spreading like wildfire. It's, it's like a virus. It is. And that's why it needs to be taken care of like a cancer and just cut out. However, and I know you had said that you guys help people find treatment if they want if you yes. want it. I think it needs to be more of a organized process. Like let's say for example, we have someone who relapses and the protocol is you confront that person, you give them the 45 minutes. During that 45 minutes, outreach is called. They are without asking the person, because like you said, people say no. People aren't Mm -hmm. ready in that moment. But without asking the person, outreach is looking for a bed. And then you come to that person and say, listen, you have to be out of here in 45 minutes. This is where you can go. That's your option. You may have already made a plan, but mm-hmm. this is a safe place that you can go and, and receive treatment. Yeah, and I mean, that would be awesome. I don't but think I don't the, think that Oxford the, House is connected like that. No, they're not. And that's why, I, you know, when that dude, Brian, that we kicked out who relapsed, I offered him to call Save the Mike. Save the Michaels is a group in there at Western New York that mm-hmm. literally their main focus, the biggest thing they do is get people's beds because the founder son died, killed himself, going through withdrawal and waiting for a bed he could not find a bed anywhere so his dad ended up starting the company and was like i find people bed they would drive they drove me out by new york city 
Right. They yeah, I've heard they drive a lot. Of so people they'll off drive there. anywhere in New York State and drop then people you, off. That's where you know we ended up meeting. Right. It was out of the village after that. So they mm-hmm. are obviously connected. So I think Oxford House, Northwestern New York, is that the official? Yes. Anyway, I think they could do a lot more or make a better effort to be ready because dealing with who you're dealing with you know you're gonna have that on a weekly basis like no exception you are yeah you've got probably i don't know how many people would you say are in oxford house western new york there's like 20 Let's just houses say, yeah, say 10 of 10 a piece just so r- roughly 200 yeah. guys yeah you're gonna have relapses on a weekly basis and knowing that you need to be more prepared and sometimes whole houses Oh, yeah. Like you said, sometimes they got to go and clear the houses. My problem is I feel like the outreach workers here encourage to do the money thing more yeah. than the help thing. Yeah, well, they, yeah, because that's what's, that's how they're getting paid. So it's kind of the whole, uh, another example of this happening would be like Wall Street investors. They're being incentivized to sell you the company's you know, preferred stock or whatever, Mm. that might not be the best thing for you, but it's the best way for them to get a bonus, you know? So it's the same, same idea. I'm not saying that they're being incentivized to do that, but I think when I'm getting paid by the houses paying their rent, then Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure the houses pay their rent. And what's the best way to do that? Make sure the houses collect money. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then, but I think you just end up ripping people off and hurting people more a lot of times. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there. I know people who will not do Oxford House out of treatment. And that's not great because sometimes there's no other option. Sometimes the waiting list for supportive living is 90 days and you can't sit in long term for that long, for that long waiting for a bed, you know, after because, yeah, maybe it works out perfectly to where I go to residential for 90 days and then boom, I'm first on the list for supportive living. And when I'm ready, I'm ready and the bed's ready at, you know, supportive living. But that's not always the case. I mean, how many people at the village did you see leave because their insurance cut them off and they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't have their preferred plan which that's so effed up dude yeah that's a whole other thing the, the whole insurance, insurance company oh, become goodness. clinicians and decide when you don't yeah. need rehab any longer yeah because they don't want to pay it and and the other i mean even with the medication too with the mat that happens mm-hmm. a lot like my doctor wants to su- prescribe me suboxone but my insurance company tells them to su- prescribe me zubsolve like that's not the same medication it's no. a totally different medication and why is it yeah, I get that insurance companies have doctors, but they never met me. They haven't talked no, to me. No, they have no idea. They don't what know what's going on with my case. My doctor does, and my doctor tells them that, and then they recommend something else. Like that's a whole other thing. I could just go yeah, that, that that is a rabbit hole from the pharmaceutical companies <laughs> oh, all the yes. way down to I mean everything. It's it's insane. So we're not going to touch that. Let's that's, not even. That's like a year worth of episodes. <laughs> it really right there. is. It could be. We could do a docu series. Yeah, pretty much we could. We will. Yeah. Coming right. soon. Mm-hmm. From yeah, it's, it's just, it's messed up, the whole thing. Now, I always take it back to this because just like rehabs, no matter, you can be in the crappiest rehab, you can be in the shittiest rehab, you can be in the crappiest Oxford house, you can be in the best Oxford house, mm-hmm. whatever. It, you can get what you want out of it. Oh, absolutely. Because I don't want to sit here and keep bashing Oxford House the whole time because I have learned a lot. I've gained, I've worked on my assertiveness. I've worked on so much. Absolutely. You know, just things I have to know. I have to relax because not everybody's going to put a coffee cup back in with the handle facing 90 degrees every time. Like, they're just not going to do that. You have to calm down. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of things I've had to learn as far as that is concerned. Yeah, and I will say, um, as far as... Reach goes when 
Oxford House came out to the village and did an outreach presentation. I remember listening to the current outreach worker of Oxford House and thinking, just listening to his story and what he went through, essentially feeling the same way that I was feeling at the current moment is what he described. And then he was saying, and then I went to Oxford House and that's what got me back on my feet. It taught me how to, you know, live again, how to pay my bills again, how to get a job. It taught me all Mm -hmm. of those things. And for me, that really did give me a little bit of hope. Just listening to his story and being like, you know what? I feel that way right now. Like when I was in rehab, dude, I, it was all I could do to just get out of bed and go to groups. Like I hated it so much. I still hated my life. I was still up until the last probably three or four weeks. I was so depressed. And then you were, I hit a turning point. I think it was really actually after you left. Mm hmm. I was right around the time you left, maybe, but I hit a turning point. And there were a couple things that I had done, but that was one of them, was hearing that guy come in and and speak and thinking, okay, because I had no prospects, man. I I was like 30-whatever years old. I had no prospects for work. I had nowhere to live. Like, my parents weren't going to take me in again. Like, And at 30 years old, you shouldn't be living with your parents, let's be honest. So I had nothing. And for me to go, in my mind, in that moment, to go from living where everything's taken care of for you at the village to, okay, now I have to live my life again, seemed like an impossible transition. And Oxford House, for me, was perfect because I'm not disabled in any way. I'm able to work as long as my head is screwed on straight and I'm not using. For me, Oxford House was the perfect thing to go from uh, residential rehab and transition to something before going to just living on my own again. Mm-hmm. That's right. No, it is. It's a beautiful thing. It it can be. And I mean, I don't know. I I got so much out of rehab. Yeah, I did. And even jail. I learned so much about myself in jail. I had some of the biggest psychological breakthroughs ever. Wow. Where there's just uh, there was a switch that was flipped. Mm-hmm. And I just I remember that so vividly. Laying in this, you know, in the Buffalo Holding Center, laying in there by myself. Because you have like 12 hours, half the day you're alone in isolation. And I just remember laying there and feeling just sorry for myself, feeling like a piece of shit, feeling guilty, feeling shame, feeling all these things. And I just, I remember it. So I remember just, I could see it in my head. I'm laying there with my eyes closed and I just see this fork in the road. And if I go this way, if I go to the left, I will continue down in this world of self-pity, life's unfair. I was dealt a bad hand. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to keep using. I'm going to be under a bridge and homeless and teethless and just everything else that comes with your stereotypical looking drug addict. Or I can go down the right way and I can figure this out. I can learn to love myself and forgive myself and accept myself and develop this confidence and become you know vulnerable and all these amazing things. And I just made a decision and mm. that was it. I was like, I'm doing this. Yeah. Because I'm not going to live a pathetic, nihilistic life anymore. Mm. Yeah, it's very easy to fall into nihilism. Oh my gosh, self-pity is so crazy, man. Self-pity. Everybody just... Any issue you have, when you start like bitching about it and complaining about it, that's Mm self-pity. It really is. And I'm not saying I don't ever get stuck in it or find myself in it, because we all do. It happens. But I've just developed such a, a habit of stop. What mm-hmm. are you doing? How mm-hmm. are you going to solve this problem? Right. What are you going to learn from it? How are you going to solve it and fix it? Yeah, and that's, I think, where you start to grow. Yeah, and it's crazy. And then now all of a sudden, like, I just have this constant motivation and, de- you know, I'm just determined mm-hmm. to 
fucking do this and live life and enjoy the shit out of it and be successful at it and do something I love the rest of my my life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you're using and you're in that, your mind is so clouded by how do I get high again? Because when you're high, like in reality, nothing is really that great. Like your life is shit, right? Yeah. But when you're high, everything's just golden. Everything seems perfect. Right. You're literally like living in your car and you get high and you're like, man, this is a great car. I love it. I'm so lucky. Burger King parking lot. Oh, man. You know, it's just, then when you come down, it's just a natural place for your mind to go. It's that self-pity. I think. Oh, the dark. As far as learning things in rehab, too, like, there was stuff that I learned in rehab that I was, like, in the moment, I'm like, there's no way, like, yeah, this is all fine and good, but there's no way I'm using this in the real world. And I have. Like, mm-hmm. the whole mindfulness thing is just kind of something that I latched onto. Because, you know, there's a couple different ways to go as far as what you're offered in treatment. A-A-N-A. Yeah, the village did a great job. Right. They give you so many options. Dial, DBT, CBT, all that stuff. And different ones make sense to different people. And for me, it was the DBT with mindfulness. And so that's what I latched onto. And I find myself using those techniques and those coping skills um, on a daily basis and it's so subtle that I don't think many people don't catch on to it when you're using these skills Um, but some people will and like people notice that I'm like sighing but really I'm just doing deep breathing exercises Mm -hmm. in the moment stuff like that like you will learn stuff in rehab just like in Oxford House there is things for you to learn, and there is a lot of benefit that can come out of it. I just think there is something that can be done. And I think you have to agree as a house, let's make this a good place to live and recover. Let's keep in mind that that's why we're all here. Our common bond is that we're all trying to get better. There's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be personalities that butt heads. Anytime you put nine people together in a house, mm-hmm. it's going to be road rules versus real world the real world back on mtv like that's gonna happen you're gonna get into this mentality of like you're voted off of the island you absolutely are and i've had to because this is a great transition to what else i want to talk about oxford house is how it can become almost a totalitarian state Mm -hmm. and people can get you know certain people on their sides because basically the majority of the house rules yes and so if you don't like somebody you can get them kicked out Oh, absolutely. You if can find a way to get them kicked out. And you don't even one, have to be that intelligent. That is one thing that I have made sure being a president of a house and even before I was a president to make sure I have I never do. Right. I've always checked myself with that. There's been so many people who made me want to pull my hair out <clears> and like punch them in the face and like just oh like i can't stand being around like where i would shriek knowing they're home when i come home like oh please don't be home please don't be home there's been a handful of people like that in this house yeah and i have treated them completely fairly right with the you have to yeah you have to check yourself i think actively and think about this person may annoy me but there are people that they have in their lives who love them mm-hmm. and they have people that they love and that's what we're trying to get back to is all of us being back on you know the straight and narrow if you will and being surrounded by those that we love because we're not going to be in an oxford house forever that's another thing to keep in mind i hope not you could be but don't yeah you can i think there's people that have been in oxford houses for years but i feel like you will get stalled out on the growth growth aspect at absolutely point. yeah because you got to move on you've got to get yourself together and be at a place where I'm clean, not just because the house might talk to me. I'm mm-hmm. clean because my life 
clean is better than my life using. And I know that. I think I've gotten myself back to that point and I remind myself daily like how lucky I am to have a career that I have, to be with the person that I'm with just different things in my life the way it is right now. Even when I was, before I relapsed this last time, much happier now than I was even with a few years clean before, you know? So I think Horizon and Oxford House have done wonders Great for me. job, yeah. So, But I mean, you came from a house, basically, that kicked you out because mm. you didn't allow it, the president to run things the way he yeah. wanted to run them. And a lot of people who become president of houses think it's like a communist state where everything they say right. says and goes. And I remind people almost every house meeting here, what do you guys think? You have an opinion. Right. Like you can say yes to this. You can say no to this. You can share your thoughts on it. We could do something totally different. Yes. Yeah. The president literally is just here to run the house meetings. Yeah. There's no benefits to being a president. No, it shouldn't be. Everybody comes to you with their problems. That's really mainly all you get. Right. And you're yeah so you are like a contact point for the house to be like hey this is happening how do we handle it but you still have one single vote your vote mm-hmm. means as much as my vote as much as I somebody who's been in, in here yeah for two and a half days right and that's something i constantly like bombard my fellow housemates with yeah because they just yeah whatever i don't know it's like no you have to voice your opinion right if this is something that you don't want happening then yeah, well, what do so. you guys think? What do you want to know? What do you want to do? How do you want to spend our money? Let's we all have to agree on right. this. Because you might have a great idea, but realistically, you got nine guys. There's a chance that maybe someone has a better idea. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, but having a sounding board of multiple people is always it's better super than beneficial. being alone. Absolutely. Super beneficial. And it's it's crazy how many houses start thinking that they run the house. The presidents think they run the house. Yeah, usually you'll get like the president and then a, a right-hand man, if you will, who are just kind of like, okay, we're going to do this. And then and what happened at the, the last house I was at a lot was the whole cloak and dagger, like let's round a couple people up behind this person's back and see what we mm. can get going and steamroll them out of the house. It's happened with multiple people. Yeah, and it's It was kind of like one of those things like when when's it my turn? And I, I, I'm glad to be away from it because it's a stressful way to live. Man. It is. Just constantly like, today I come home, is this the day they're going to sit me down and kick me out? Oh, good. I get to sleep here another night. You know, that's fucking stressful. So. And it's crazy because you're messing with somebody's recovery. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, like somebody's like, sobriety. That's what's been, I think, totally lost sight of. Um, the fact that you have in your hands somebody's life. Yeah. And if they literally like this person could decide based on what you have done. Now I'm in a situation where, fuck it, I have no reason to stay sober. I'm homeless, might as well get high. And maybe that's the last shot I take and I'm dead. And you don't you don't even have any family in Buffalo. So this could have easily been a case with you living on the streets, which, to be honest, I I didn't really keep my parents in the loop that well. I probably should have. Like, I let them know that I was like moving to a new house because I knew that like I could probably get into here. If there was openings and I knew that I could get into another house just based on the situation it, I didn't use. So I knew that I was still eligible to you visit still, another yeah. house. The issue was, though, there was no. Right. No opening. At that time, there was. We which, just got yeah. three people in. Which I got a week lucky, and a half. fortunately. And but unfortunately, but fortunately, this guy right. was an idiot and couldn't follow any rules right. and relapsed as well in yeah. six days. Yeah. So and that that happens you know, but I think I was in a case of being very fortunate, and that's not everybody. No, 
No, it's not. A lot of people get kicked out and have nowhere to go. Yeah, and, and I think at, at Stevenson, it's a very terrible record of people who leave the house relapsing. Yeah, and but I mean, I feel like oh, that house goes through people. Yeah, they can't keep like it crazy. Full, no, which is a problem for the house. It's just money wise. So then that perpetuates the whole thing of like, shit. We only have six people here paying three fifty. When we plan based on our budget to have nine people paying three fifty, we're gonna be pretty skim on skimpy on funds. Skimmy on cash. So yeah, it's a, it's one of those things on paper sounds great, but there's so many issues. Yeah, when you have people who can't think objectively. Oh, absolutely. You have there's a lot of sheep. You know, there's so many sheeple out there. Yeah, there's so many. I think 95% of the world, that's an actual uh, statistic. I'm sure you have very few actual leaders. Mm-hmm. Which people is good. People who will stand up for what's right. and Right. That's true. I mean, you need that. But, but at the same time, you got to have people who are like willing to have a backbone. I mm-hmm. I just can't have sympathy for people who won't advocate for themselves. It's tough. I mean, I get it, but it's tough, especially when somebody has such a like an awesome heart. Yeah. And they're so like just soft and just yeah. will let people walk all over them. And it's something there's a guy here that I just love him. He's just the most gentle, tender dude. And I have to yell at him all the time. You gotta say no, man. You yeah. can't keep saying yes. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna just kill yourself. Absolutely. Like you cannot say yes to everybody and everything. You have to learn to say no and tell people when you have an issue with them. And so I've been trying to work with him. Like even yesterday there was a group text, a dude wanted to miss the house meeting and he texted me separately. You know, how did he not know the house meeting was this? Because I was like, dude, send it in the group text. Like send it in there. Right. And ask them. You're right. allowed to ask them. It's yeah. fine. You know, it's if somebody gets upset and defensive, usually that means they're up to something anyway. Mm-hmm. Which was a great example with my good buddy. I guess I guess he broke up with me, my former good buddy, the mm. other day. Mm-hmm. When you know, just like you owe me this, mm. and then he got mad because I was asking for it because I needed it. So it's just you know that's how people are. Usually when they get defensive, it's because they're guilty of something. Absolutely. And I think if you bring something like that to someone, like why exactly are you asking to miss a house meeting? It's easy to be put in a position of like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to offend you by asking. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like people get, as soon as someone gets defensive, then you start to like backpedal and you're like, oh, I didn't mean it that way. I think in life, just in general, when you're bringing something to somebody, if you do it in a way that is assertive, and not forceful, mm-hmm. you should have no problem with just standing by that remark. Now, if you say something ridiculous and insensitive or something like that, then yeah, you need to backpedal. But again, if you're just being assertive and you're asking a question that needs to be asked of this person or this entity, there's no reason for you to, to be weak about it or like squeamish and like, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. If they get defensive and it hurts their feelings or whatever, it's probably because you hit on a nerve and they know they're doing something wrong. Most of the time. That's definitely the case. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it definitely is. But like I said, this house, Oxford House, has really helped me grow in my assertiveness. It is one of the foremost uh, necessary pieces of good communication. Uh, yes, especially of surviving in an Oxford House if oh, you don't do that. positively, yes. Yeah, so I don't know. In general, I guess Oxford, I mean... Good I'm, thing. It, yeah, it, absolutely. I Obviously, be I've been living at, in one for quite a few months. Right, right. I think you can be looked at as a tool where how it's used is the most important part of the tool. So it can be used in a negative way to take advantage of people, And at the same time, you can be on that other end of being taken advantage of. 
But I think if you keep in mind why you're here and everyone in the house keeps that in mind and you remain, you know, an advocate for yourself and assertive, I think you can be used as a fantastic tool to transition from long-term rehabilitation into a place where you're living on your own again and you're self, self-supporting. Yeah, you learn, start learning how to pay bills, you start getting a job, you start doing all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Start getting a girlfriend or boyfriend. Or whatever. You know, whatever, whatever you're you like into. there. Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> uh, it's accepted now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is totally accepted. So another thing now, switching gears, oh, since, we're switch done with, gears. since we're done with Oxford House, um, I'm very thankful for Oxford Houses. Yes, absolutely. It's annoying and as frustrating as many flaws there are in it. You know, it's like it's like any other democratic state. Mm-hmm. Or Republic State. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's the best form, but still a lot of flaws in it. Absolutely. So. Mm-hmm. What I want to do, there's something I have noticed, and it's just talked about a lot throughout life. As you be- start becoming successful, so many people start hating on you for oh, no reason. Oh, man. And I have noticed that with so many of my friends, in quotes, and so many people around me that all of a sudden I have like, not that I'm even like successful, but I think people see my determination and my motivation. Oh, you're on a path of success. And, yeah. And I think people see that and I find you've changed, man. You've mm-hmm. changed. Like, yeah. for instance, this friend I just had, you know, flip out on me about, you know, me asking and saying, hey, I need this and all his reasons for being upset. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't changed what I've done. I've gotten busier. I mean, and right. that happens right. and because I'm trying to start a business. And I've just, I have seen so many people start hating and start, it's almost like a jealous, envious thing. I think so. That happens in people. And then they start looking at you differently. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it becomes a time suck. So where you in the past had plenty of time and didn't have as much going on. So you were able to, um, I guess, contribute more to the friendship if you want, just on a time scale. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden your time's being taken up with interviewing people. And working on your business plan and just editing, you know, because now now that you know more about editing, it's probably a little more difficult and time consuming mm-hmm. to get yourself to a product that you now feel comfortable putting that out I there. Want. Yep. So, yeah, it's just it's a jealous envy, I think. And then at the same time, it is just not being able to to commit the time and then that being perceived as you've changed. Well, yeah, you have like people are fluid. Like we change all the Constantly. time. And just, you know, people don't like change, though. It's funny that that one thing that we know is going to happen, change, people are so uncomfortable We hate with. it. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, we hate it. it. And it's just, it's been amazing to me to, like, to, to see that, you know, in, the, in this particular person. I mean, and maybe a lot of it has to do with, like, I would pick him up and take him everywhere. We'd go to meetings mm-hmm. a few times mm-hmm. a week. And, I mean, as I started working two part-time jobs and then doing, obviously, the Room 9 thing. Yeah. That has definitely fell backwards. You know, I would, oh, you know, pick him up, drive him to inpatient or outpatient, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do lots of things like that. And it was just funny to start seeing, like, like I don't know where it came from. It just started, you know, about a month or so ago, two months ago, in, like, these random flip outs and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. So I haven't been able to put my finger on it. But, I mean, I've seen it in other people as well, that they just kind of, like, will hate on you. I've had people get on social media and, I'm going to tell everybody you're a fraud and don't yeah. even listen to this podcast. And yeah. it's just very humorous to see. I've realized that if everybody likes you in life and you get along with everybody that you need to fix something. Yeah, you're not getting what you want. There's something wrong. I guarantee wrong. you yeah. that. 
Mm-hmm. Like, if everybody likes you and everyone's okay with you, it's probably because they're all using you. Uh, yeah. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, if everybody is just, you you know, you don't have any issues with anybody, I feel like that's not a good thing. Yeah. And I've... So, when I went into rehab, I you know how they have you identify patterns of behavior, right? One of my biggest patterns was that I will get into a job. It'll just be whatever is the highest paying job that I can get that at that moment. I'll be really into it for like a month mm. and then I'll fucking hate it. Yeah. And I'll either quit it or I mean the longest and over the last probably decade, I think the longest job I had was like a little over 3 years. And I've I man, I've had so many jobs and I've hated every single one of them. So going into rehab, one of the the biggest things that I identified was I need to to set myself up with a career. At the village, that was like one of the biggest things. I started doing those uh, refresher courses with that guy Ed who would come in from oh, Boces yeah, yeah, yeah. so that I could take the electrical course at Boces, which is just recently finished up and I put myself on a path to get myself a career. Now I seriously wake up like every day wanting to go to work. I love my job. I love what I do. And it's opened up this whole new realm of existence where it's not Monday through Friday. I'm like, oh, I got to go to work today. It's like every day I just get up and I'm like, man, you know, I would choose to go do that if I had like several options on the table of stuff mm-hmm. I'd be allowed to do if I could do anything. That'd be one of the things I would choose. And it's totally changed my perspective. But going back to the whole nihilism thing, it's totally changed my perspective on life. Because if you'd asked me two years ago or three years ago, what, you know, what are you doing in life? What is the meaning of life? I would have been like, you know, you get to go to work and hate your job for most of the time so that you can make money so that you can pay bills and live in a house that you hate. Like that would be my definition. Today, I've set myself up through, you know, tools that I've used through rehab and all of that um, and stuff that's been made available to me based on just treatment and recovery to have a career that I love doing. And I've noticed the same thing. People, like one of the things that was cited when I was removed from this house was that you know when we were voting on it we kind of took into account that you're probably the most stable one in the house so we knew that you'd land on your feet and i was like that's great thank you for that like we have to kick someone out so let's make sure it's a guy who's stable like to to have these accusations thrown at me like okay so here's Someone who's using does not wake up every morning at 6.30, go to work until 5, and then after work do meetings or side projects or go hang out with their girlfriend. Like, that's not what an addict's doing. No. Like, an addict is sleeping till 2 in the afternoon because I was out late using and then waking up in a dither of, like, what the fuck's going on, trying to find dope. You know, like, that would be an addict using. What I'm doing every day, enjoying what I do, and essentially finally loving my life for the first time in a decade and a half, I'd say, is just totally what I've been working towards for a long time now. And now that I'm seeing it come to fruition, yeah, I'm seeing people just become haters all of a sudden. Because I think it's because they're not really living their best life. No. They're, like, in a point where it's like, man, I'd like to be there. So if I could maybe, like, cut him back a couple steps, maybe I could get to where he's at and we'll all be happy. Um, It's a flawed sense of logic, but maybe that's what people are thinking. But, yeah, I've noticed that. It is. It's totally flawed. And people do. That's what they think they're... I mean, instead of putting hard work in, working a full-time job where you were doing the collections and going to school at night to learn, you know, to become an electrician. And I think another issue, too, is people have this 
grandiose idea of what they want to do and love for a living. Yeah, like I'm gonna be a rock star. Yeah, that I'm was me. I'm gonna be a movie star. That was me. Absolutely. It's like, no. What do you like doing? You like to help people. Oh, become a nurse. Yeah. What do you like to do? Oh, you like to fix problems and do wiring and right. Oh, I enjoy being an electrician. I yeah. enjoy being a plumber. Like I all enjoy my life, being a carpenter. I've, like tinkered with stuff. I love yeah. just tinkering around. So an electrician is perfect. I go to work and I tinker all day long. Like being an electrician makes me want to throw up thinking right. about you me. Would, you would like, probably no, hate it. I don't it. want to it's do that. It's not for you, but it's the perfect and thing for me. And you love it, yeah. And, and there's so many things in this life. Like I had a view of like, oh, there's only like a very small percentage of people who get to go to work and like it. And actually James from the village who started mm-hmm. uh, the clothing company, he was one of the people who, to kind of like get that out of my mind. He was like, dude, if you go to California, nobody is at doing a job they hate. Out West, they're so far ahead of us as far as that goes and like buffalo yeah i get it's a smaller town a smaller area so it may be a little harder to find what you love but you don't have to go to work and hate it like if you do i really suggest finding something that you like to do and put all of your energy into Into that finding a way to make that happen yeah it was a lot of hard work absolutely when i started treatment i was like man i would love to do that but there's no fucking way it's gonna happen it's gonna take me years and it didn't it did not take as long as i thought it would and i'm in a place oh a lot of hard work but i'm in a place now where i'm reaping the benefits of putting in that work Mm -hmm. so and it comes back to self-awareness again yeah people don't have the self-awareness or the ability to look inward and projection is such a real fucking thing dude mm-hmm. it's so real and people constantly do it and what that's what they do they sit back and don't do anything to change their lives and hate on other people well it takes courage to look inward too so much bravery courage yeah. it's so easy to look outward and be like whoa sean's life is fucked up look what he's doing every day and not look at myself and be like whoa matt's life is way more fucked up than sean's i better get to work because realistically i can't do anything to change you no. nothing the N- only thing nothing. i have control over absolute control over in this world is me and what i do so i can decide i'm gonna look at what i have problems with identify them and then identify what i need to do to work on them and go to work And that's how you create happiness in life. You will not create it by projecting your issues on other people or saying, oh, look at this jackass trying to do this. What a joke. That's not going to get you anywhere. And it's not going to make you any friends either. And another another saying, I love this quote, and I don't remember who said it, but he said, um, the harder I worked, the luckier I got. Right. And I find that to be so friggin' true. When anybody says you're so lucky, that means they're clueless to how much work has been put into something. Absolutely. Yeah. Like even the connections that have, have fallen my way between Anne Constantino and with Horizon Health and just all these people that are opening doors for me to keep growing. I've been working my ass off. I've been putting in the work and all of a sudden the opportunity has come. Yeah, you have and to it's, put yourself it's out such there. a badass thing. No matter what you do, if you are a hundred percent giving it your all and that doesn't mean you can't take time for yourself and time to relax but if you're doing that things are gonna happen man and it goes back to pulling yourself out of Mm self-pity because you could easily sit around all day and be like oh my life's so terrible i'm on dss that's the only way i get money to pay my rent this is awful why did i get dealt this hand trust me there's a hundred million people in this world with a way worse hand dealt than you were Mm mm-hmm if you live in America, you're already in the top like eight, Three. eight billion people. <laughs> Three you know? percent, yeah, like, something crazy like it that. It is. It's crazy to be it's here. Nuts. If you are sitting in America complaining about your life, you're not on the right path. No, yeah, self pity is poison all it the way is. through. There's nothing beneficial about it. Absolutely nothing. Have you seen that TED talk about self compassion? 
I think they showed it like I a thousand th- times. I don't think so, was, believe it or not. By, I don't know. By Maybe. Brene Brown. Oh, I don't remember her. Self, don't. She has a vulnerability one and then one on shame. Didn't she do self-compassion, though? I don't think. She probably talks about it, but I, there's... There's one TED Talk about specifically about self-compassion, and it is by a lady, and maybe the name's wrong. But anyway, yeah, she talks I know about... Brene Brown's work very well. Okay, so then maybe it's not her. Anyway, if you look it up on YouTube and you just type in TED Talk self-compassion, there's a lady who talks about it. And she talks about how she substituted self-pity for self-compassion. And essentially has to do with changing that internal voice that says, you suck, you effed this thing up. And this is a, a one more thing on this list of things that you've screwed up in your life. Taking that and exchanging it with a voice that says, you know what? Everybody makes mistakes. And yeah, that wasn't great, but this is how I can improve on that next time. And I think changing self-compassion or self-pity to self-compassion, it was huge for me. It's hard to buy into, though. It is. Did it is super it hard. Um, I think that one at the top is Kristen it. Neff. That's it. Okay. The space between self-esteem and self-compassion. Yes. So definitely if you're out there in the nether worlds of the internet, check that out because it helped me a lot. And it was hard, like I said, hard for me to buy into it because at first it seems like you're being too easy on yourself, like you're being too much of a softy. Mm -hmm. But you really like think about some of the things that you've said to yourself in the past. If one of your friends said that to you. Like, you guys wouldn't be friends anymore. I say this to to my girlfriend all the time. Like, some of the things that she says about herself, if someone else said that about her to me, I'd probably punch him in the face. It's huge. Just clinical psychologist I really love. I read a couple of his books, and but he was talking about kind of, you know, that self, self-care. And he said he was, you know, counseling this, this grandma whose granddaughter committed suicide, and she couldn't stop blaming herself. Like, I could have done something different. Yeah. I should have been able to do something. And she was just depressed and hating herself over it. And he talks about how when he asked her one day, do you tell your husband that? That he could have done more? Oh. That he could have said something and been there more for your granddaughter? And she says, no, of course not. I would never say that to him. And he said, why do you do it to yourself? Why do you hold yourself to those standards? Right. You know, why do you why do you blame yourself if you were not if you would never blame your husband for doing that? Yeah. Why are you blaming yourself? And that's such a huge thing. Yeah. Because we are so much harder on ourselves than we are other people. That's a great example of that. It is. And it's just like, would you would you tell that to somebody? You know, would you say that to your husband? Yeah, would you say Absolutely that to your not. girlfriend? Would you say that to your parents? Would you say that to your boyfriend, husband, yeah. wife, whatever, sister, yeah. brother? No, if you wouldn't, then why are you doing it saying that to yourself? Yeah. You can't you can't be hard on yourself the way that most people are. I know yeah, I was. And, me too. and as soon as yeah. I examined that, like just try to pay attention to it today, like for the rest of the day, if you haven't ever done this in the past. And you will notice, like when you mess something up, oh, you idiot. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with you? You know, just stuff like that. You really got to get rid of that. Yeah. And the, th- the thing is, is if you say it enough, your ego will identify with it. Oh, absolutely. And you'll carry that. Yep. Subconsciously, and, for sure. And that's something I've changed. I've had to change. Like if I spill over a cup of water, Sean, you're a fucking idiot. You dumbass. Right, right. Like, no, stop. <laughs> because that's literally what I thought at one point. That's it's, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Self-talk. The space between self-esteem and self-compassion. Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F. Hmm. I actually have to give that one a listen. I've actually never seen that one. Yeah. It. Like I said, it took me a minute to buy into it. So I don't know what it is, if it's the way it's presented in that video, but it seems weird. Her, the example probably that she gave could be better. Mm-hmm. I didn't identify with it. But Okay. You can make your up your own example. It's huge. And it gets you out of self-pity and it motivates you. 
And, you know, I think self-compassion also gives you such a huge space to when you do screw up to learn from it as opposed to yeah. being mad at yourself. Yeah. Because that just keeps your eyes open. All right, I screwed up here. This is what I did wrong. Now how do I fix it? And you fix it. And mm-hmm. bam, you're moving on. Then you're it's growing. It's a beautiful thing. You are growing and showing. I just made that up. It's, it was great. Trademark. It was, it was really good. <laughs> Copyright. Matthew Oliver, 2019. All right, bro. Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah. I think we're done. That wasn't a bad uh, spare the moment episode. Thank you for coming on for the fourth time, fifth time? This is like my fifth time. Fifth time? Yeah, I'm a regular contributor, I think. You absolutely are. You have been actually the guest that's been on here the most, too. I am a celebrity. And now that you're living here... I'm just going to be on all the time. I'll be co-hosting. Well, let's not go that far. Let's see who's out there, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you just got voted out of the house. (laughs) We're done here. (laughs) We got your year 150. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening. I love you guys. Matt, thanks for coming on, as Mm -hmm. always. Of course. I always enjoy your conversations. So, peace out, y'all. Wait a minute. All right. People... Episode 31 is done. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Oxford Houses. Help people. Just like everything else, you get out of it what you put into it and what you want to get out of it. So if you work hard in Oxford House and use it to your best abilities, you will get something great out of it. It will help you in your recovery, in your sobriety, and it will keep you accountable. So that being said... I have some awesome episodes lined up over the next few weeks. One with my teacher from my recovery coach classes, uh, recoverycoachuniversity.com. He's based out of Rochester. I will be doing one with him. Also, I'm sitting down with a psychiatrist this coming up Tuesday. And that's going to be awesome because I love sitting down with smart human beings. So I'm excited to have a conversation with her. And have a great week. Room9podcast.com backslash contact to fill out a contact form stay in touch backslash support to help us out and keep this message going and just share us on facebook share us on any social media platform you prefer to be on and share information on and that is all love you guys peace out have a great week later you better believe it